Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Tell your chico pit boomers 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now that's, that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement and, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple podcast. Podcast one. Spotify. Hey everyone, this is John Roca from Collider. By now, you've likely heard about Disney Plus, the new streaming service that includes Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. With all of these amazing brands in one place, Disney Plus is one of the most incredible libraries in the entire streaming landscape, and it's all ad-free. From beloved classics like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to today's blockbusters like Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame to critically acclaimed documentaries like National Geographic's Free Solo, the content on Disney Plus is truly unparalleled. Disney Plus also offers some of the most beloved TV shows of all time, including 30 seasons of the Emmy Award-winning animated series The Simpsons. And if that weren't enough, Disney Plus has also rolled out a host of originals like The Mandalorian, the first-ever Star Wars live-action series, and high school musical The Musical The Series, a very meta take on the beloved film franchise. It's no wonder Disney Plus has become one of the most talked-about streaming services of 2019. So don't miss out. Sign up for Disney Plus now and start streaming all this great content today. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831 Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
On today's Movie Talk, we've got your weekend box office report. And then on top of that, the Golden Globe nominees are here. We're breaking those down in addition to two new Very Hot trailers, a new trailer for Wonder Woman and the new Ghostbusters movie. Happy Monday, everyone. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. But I also hope that you're ready to go with a whole bunch of movie news today because we have a stacked show and I get to talk about all of these topics with two super cool guys. We've got Silas on the desk today and Roka. Hello. And Roka. We're don't wearing you bring some, it up. Okay, I'm, okay, oh, okay. Right, don't no, no, you no, bring wait, it up, Perry. So we have to kick off the show kick by off. telling nice, you. Nice, Perry. Oh, kick no, off. I didn't even yeah. Pause on that. This show is brought to you by Heroes and Villains. It's a collection of clothing for anybody who is part of a fandom and you want some really high quality clothes for the brands that you love so much. Like, let's say Star Trek. You have a cool Star Trek yeah. jacket on, too. As soon as they showed me this, I lost my mind. This is such a fantastic. Look at the logo on there. Look at the back of this thing. Let me turn around. Oh, no. Don't knock the desk over. It's cool. It's oh, now I feel like, so wait. So it's like, if you're a Star Trek fan, you to look this at is the great. Back of the, wait, Always in competition. Look at that. It is pretty awesome. It's it's massive. I'm going to ruin their frame, but I'm going to get back in the middle there. So (laughs) if you want to get your hands on any of this fine stuff, you just go on over to heroesvillains.com and you can use the uh, promo code TALK10 and you can get 10% off your order. And the thing is, there's other discounts out there. So you use TALK10 on top of that discount and then get even more off. So good deals over there. A lot of cool stuff, too. All right, Roka, what did you want to talk about now? Little little uh, fantasy football playoff let me, action. Let me tell you something, people. I know this movie talk, but real quick, because I host Collider Sports. So I'm going to tell you, fantasy football. Don't set your lineups at 3 a.m. in the morning when you're suffering through a little excuses, bit of tuberculosis because you, you make changes and you doubt yourself and you sit Raheem Mostard, who got 32 points yesterday, and you lose to Perry Nemiroff by one damn point. Can I, I want to be fair to you though? Because I was watching as you weren't changing your lineup, and yep. I'm like, oh, thank God he's not changing his lineup. And then when I woke up Sunday morning and saw that you changed it. I thought you made some smart. It wasn't. I feel like it wasn't a loss that should make you feel bad about how you set your lineup. Like who did <laughs> True, you? I went with you, smart you choices. You subbed in Freeman for yep, him, so yep, it yep. wasn't a bad decision. I guess. And I just got stupid lucky at you the did. end. Yeah, it's a great stupid lucky show on, on like a bad injury too, which <laughs> which made me very sad. And I hope uh, I hope Rashad Penny heals up fast. Oh, that's, true. Uh, that was a rough one, but uh, that's where we all stand with fantasy football. I believe uh, I had a playoff win, and Adam Smith in the booth had a playoff win Yo. as well. So now. Now we go on to yeah. There we go is. on to face uh, Jeff and Jack, and that's where it stands right now. Are you into fantasy? No, I lost all track when you start talking <laughs> about Star Trek. <laughs> I had a feeling. All right, let's get back on track with our box office talk here. The top five of the weekend was. Frozen 2 coming out on top with $34.7 million. Then we had Knives Out at number 2 with $14.2 million. Ford v. Ferrari coming in at number 3 with $6.537 million, followed right behind by Queen and Slim, which made $6.53 million. And then finally, it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood with $5.2 million. Briefly for the top five, is there anything that surprised you, that caught your eye, that held stronger than you expected? I'm just happy that there are so many like interesting movies yeah. that aren't necessarily sequels in in the top five. Uh, I think it's awesome. I think it's a testament to all of those movies that they're they're quality films that that people want to see and are, are turning out for. Yeah, the more the more things change, the more they stay the same. Sorry, I'm still suffering through this stuff, but I love the fact too. Like it's December. 
it's uh, Oscar season. It's award season. These are the movies that are supposed to come out. So for all this talk about superhero stuff and summer tent poles and, you know, they're swallowing up these other movies. Here we are again with these movies that are in the top five. They're unusual. Queen and Slim has nothing to do with Knives Out. Ford versus Ferrari has nothing to do with Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And, of course, Frozen 2 right at the top. So to me, I like this collection. If you go further down, yes, maybe they didn't do as well, but you've got Dark Waters, 21 Bridges, Playing with Fire, Midway, and then you get to Joker at 10, still hanging on. So for me, I think I like it. It's a, it's a nice variety for this time of year. It's not another slate of superhero movies here in well, December. So. It is it, it is another Disney movie, even though Frozen, Frozen, is, yeah, Frozen sure. 2 within this group of five, it's still a unique sure. selection of films and a unique set of options that you have out there, but it still is a Disney movie. And I got to bring up Disney right now because yeah. they had a, an especially big milestone. So... Disney's record for the highest box office in a calendar year had been crushed by mm. Disney itself. So Disney crossed the $10 billion threshold this week and beating 2016's $7.6 billion. And just to give you a little perspective here, that $10 billion doesn't even count the uh, Fox box office haul. And if you add that in, Disney's total worldwide box office in 2019 amounts to $11.94 billion. And Keep in mind, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, has not even hit theaters yet. So uh, they're making a ton of money, and they're yeah. making a ton of money on, uh, you know, not original films, on the continuations of, of franchises and sequels and the reimagining of old properties. So mm. even though it is very exciting to see some different titles, especially a super original movie like, let's say, Knives Out, and yeah. also something like Queen and Slim in the mix... The box office is being dominated by movies like Avengers Endgame, The Lion King, Captain Marvel, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, and now Frozen 2, and soon to be Star Wars. Yeah, but you and I have this battle all the time. It's business versus art. This is business. Clearly, they know what they're doing if they're breaking these records. And look, they're going to factor in the Fox stuff, which I think is going to be another $1.5 billion in their total cash. So that's great. But what do you expect? They own 60% of the market. So breaking the record doesn't seem... Like, I don't know if it seems that big of a deal because as you acquire more and more property and you acquire more and more of the of the screenings and the theaters, then, of course, you're going to have more and more opportunity to break these records. But overall, right now, I'm okay with it because they're producing quality product. The problem comes later down the road if the theaters are being inundated with their not-so-quality product and other films aren't being allowed to bust out and take those screens and get seen. That's where the concern might be. But for right now... Clearly, they're making good money and they're satisfying viewers' demands for good, fun entertainment and interesting entertainment. So, Do I, you have worried. any concerns, Silas, with Disney eating up this much of the market? No, I, because I think that, that people will go to see what they want to see. I, I get that Frozen is, is sort of a force of nature and Disney is a force of nature at this point. <laughs> and there are certain movies that they're going to put out and even if they're not excellent films, are going to make a ton of money. And that's fine. Like, it, it, it's... It's fine to have that kind of entertainment. I, I, I'm just glad that people are coming out for things that they may never have heard of before. I, mean, I don't even necessarily think that like sequels versus originals are, are the problem. I, I would happily see a sequel to Knives Out. I feel like more Benoit Blanc <laughs> mysteries would be awesome to see. Uh, I, I think what's awesome about it is that people are hearing, here's something I don't associate with. I heard it's really good. I want to check it out. That that's the positive side. To yeah, me. that that really excites me. And I hate jumping from the positive to the negative, but we can't conclude this box office conversation without bringing Playmobil into the equation <laughs> right now. Because oh no, what happened with that movie? So Playmobil is an STX release, and uh, 
It is, what is the record here? So it had something like $660,000 three days from over 2,000 theaters. And, oh God, a $282 per theater average. And that right there makes it the third worst opening average ever for a film opening in 2,000 or more locations. I mean, I don't know. The way that I read it is uh, part of the problem was that STX kind of just gave up. I don't think I saw any marketing for this. And I know I am not the target audience for a Playmobil movie, but as someone who exists in this bubble and also as someone who watches a good deal of TV, you would think I would have seen a Playmobil TV spot at some point. I have a a sister-in-law who loves Playmobil, has has an amazing Playmobil collection. Uh, I I don't think she was aware this movie was coming out. Mm. Yeah, I, I... I, I was wondering about when these things happen with animation in certain studios. Like, is this like the producers where they purposely put this thing out and know it's terrible, they're going to take a loss, but they're going to recoup the insurance so they can keep going? Like, they know, like, there's so many weird animated films that come out and get barely any publicity if they're not from a massive studio and then rarely do well. And you're like, well, why did you sink all this money? Because an animated film takes so much well, time. This is a different situation. And I believe this breakdown that I have in my notes might have come from Box Office mm. Mojo. And I think that they had written STX picked it up for domestic dis- distribution after Global Road filed for bankruptcy in ah. 2008. So we don't really know how much they paid for it. But on top of that, apparently STX is emphasizing the use of variable pricing for the film, which includes a $5 a ticket experiment to encourage and incentivize audiences to see the film while allowing theaters to begin to explore value pricing for a first-run movie. How can that work if you're not advertising it correctly that people don't even know about it? Clearly, in this case, it didn't work. Yeah, so I want to know, what was the actual logic in this picking it up and putting absolutely no effort in marketing the movie? How did you expect it to do well, and how can you use that variable pricing and get legitimate results if you don't put the same amount of uh, marketing and awareness behind the film? I don't even know... What it's about, I don't even know who, who voices any of the characters. Is there a famous voice in the characters? Can, I can look that up right yeah, now. Let's I, find I mean, out. I'm usually aware of animation, doing voiceovers myself. I'm very aware of animated stuff that comes out, but I had no idea what this is. Yeah, it, it is where, I remember, uh, I mean, back when I did more of a daily news beat, mm-hmm. uh, like, I, I remember covering this movie when it was first announced years and years ago. I yeah. mean, it was like, as the Lego movie was in development, it was, oh, and Playmobil's doing their own version. And it kind of felt like when Lego movie hit, that oh well they're they're gonna fast track Playmobil because that that could easily be just like the Lego movie right right well the voice cast included some familiar names okay. we had Anya Taylor Joy Gabriel Bateman who was just in uh, Child's Play mm-hmm. Jim Gaffigan and then we also had Megan Trainer Adam Lambert Keenan Thompson and Daniel Radcliffe interesting <laughs> yeah so uh, that that came and went and, <laughs> yeah. We're probably not going to hear much about that in the near future. <laughs> I'm right. really curious now. I, I kind of want to go see it just just, just because no one else Maybe did. you can get yeah. your hands on a $5 ticket. Yeah, it's I don't know. variable for, pricing. For all we know, given how much STX spent, maybe they just like spent the money to buy it for the sake of an experiment yeah. like that. I don't know. I mean, well, at least... Is, has had a pretty good year despite... I mean, like they had the yeah, upside hustlers at the beginning of the year and Hustlers. Yeah. Hustlers, yeah. yeah. Um, so like two... Pretty big Jeez, hits. Was the upside this year? Yeah, it was mm. early this year. Oh, that's really <laughs> messing with my head right yeah. now. Oh, I can't handle it. <laughs> All right, let's go into uh, one of our really big topics of the day. The Golden Globe nomination. So 
There is a lot to cover here. We're going to go category by category and focus particularly on the best motion picture categories, director, and we're also going to hit all the acting categories. If we miss anything, don't worry. We're going to cover it on Collider FYC this week. But just to give you guys a little bit of a, a picture of what happened, Marriage Story got six nominations. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got five, and so did The Irishman. Let us go category by category now. Kicking it off with best motion picture drama. The nominees there are 1917, The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, and The Two Popes. What say you guys? Anything surprise you in this one? Surprise? The Two Popes is one of these quiet little engines that could that, you know, no one's nominating anybody for actor, and nobody's nominating anybody for the director and stuff. But for some reason, it's, and it's one of these Netflix films as well that keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, but, but gets into these best picture conversations I find to be fascinating. I'm happy 1917 is there. I think that should win best picture. So I'm happy. Maybe it'll start that process. Anything uh, surprise you on the list, Silas? So I haven't seen Two Popes. Um, I've seen everything else, and, and, and of that list, I would pick Irishman. Um, yeah, oh, really? I, I, okay. I loved the Irishman. <laughs> I think I would probably pick Irishman, too. I mean, of the list, we, we all have this conversation all mm. the time where the Golden Globes aren't necessarily predictors of what's going to get nominated, but it is nice to have it come right around this time of year when you could start to put everything into focus a little more. And if I look at this list, the two that I think are going to get bumped off the Best Picture nomination list are probably two popes at this point. Yeah. And Like, I still don't quite know what to make of Joker. I feel so confident about Joker in the best actor category, Mm -hmm. but I'm not quite sure what to make of it elsewhere. We're going to get to it more when we talk about best director. But, you know, I'm not surprised at all to see it pop up here for the Golden Globes, especially when you've got the drama and then the comedy feel. That that really changes the game, and it makes it an impossible one-to-one as far as predicting Oscars go. Yeah. Little Women, would Little Women have qualified for the drama category or is it the musical comedy category? Um, I, imag- I imagine that would have been a drama. Right? So to me, that's the big snub, in my opinion. I think Little Women is a fantastic well, movie for two hours, 20 minutes to keep my attention, for God's sakes, about this story. I was brilliant. It's very well directed by Greta Gerwig. Like I said, I feel like she took a leap here as a director and to not have this film even nominated and only one nomination from the entire film is it, ridiculous. It would me. have been drama because Sir okay. Ronan's acting uh, is nomination in is in the drama yeah. category. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, I think that's one of the biggest snubs across the board yeah. here. And I don't quite know why this would be, but it did only get one nomination. And, mm. you know, not to jump around here, but when you look at the best director category, we, we all well know that the Globes have a problem when it comes to nominating female directors. Especially after Natalie Portman sort of mm-hmm. took them to task uh, in presenting an award and, and said, like, here's the all-male uh, nominees. Yeah. This is the thing that I, and I, I brought this up with Perry off the mic and before we started the show. I think the directing category has to be expanded to 10 now. It's my personal opinion. I think if we could do it with pictures, I mean, goddamn, we can't do it with, with best directors. All these women got completely shut out from this stuff. What You've got, what, let's show Pedro Almodovar wasn't in this thing. Clint Eastwood is in this thing. Greta Gerwig is in, in this thing. Uh, what, is uh, Josh right. and Benny Safdidi for Uncut Gems? Safdie. Sorry, uh, Safdie. Here, wait, wait. Let's just move yeah. on, and okay. we'll, we'll cover the Best Director one right oh, now. I thought you were so, jumping in. My bad. No, no, bad. no. The nominations for Best Director at the Golden Globes are Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Yeah. We have Sam Mendes for 1917. Todd Phillips for Joker. Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. And Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, I look at that list, 
And I think most of them are deserving. Absolutely. So there's that side of it. But I also think that Greta Gerwig should be That's, on this list. It's not like we have a lack of female directors that are worthy of the nomination either. It's like you have her, you have Marielle Heller mm-hmm. for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yep. You have Lorene Scafaria for Hustlers. It's like there's options and, out there. And, uh, and Honey Boy. And uh, The Farewell, too. Yeah, The Farewell like, as where, well. Where are Lulu these Lulu Wang, things? yeah, for The Farewell. Oh wait, is this the, is this the category that you were going to tell me? Okay, I'll let you. I'll well, let you I'm go for saying, it now. Just, I just think I've said it already. I just think the best director category needs to be expanded to ten Oscars as well. It's enough is enough. There are too many incredible directors, and if we're going to open the door for more diversity in the directing side, both because of race and because of gender, then we have to be nominating more people because they're going to get more opportunities. Look at look at the list. It's is it all white except for uh, Bong Joon Ho? I think it's. All white guys. And you know what's ironic? The guy at kickoff is Tarantino. I thought it was a well-directed film, but there's nothing he did in the film that he hadn't done in ten other films or nine other films or eight other films. So to me, I wasn't like wowed by his direction. It was a good movie, but I could have kicked him off absolutely for somebody else that could get a shot at this thing. And I think the Golden Globes needs to have some explanation here too because if you look at the TV side... When They See Us didn't get anything. Watchmen, a black-led show, didn't get anything. It's a little frustrating to see this happening over and over again. But something supposed to be a global Hollywood foreign press crap. Come on, step up to the plates. You know, I, I just, it frustrates me overall. This is the second highest awards ceremony we get every year. I, I think it's even interesting to divorce it from, from race or gender and just say, like, well, obviously, Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a writer-director that is building a story in tandem with one another. 1917 is a very stylish way of making a movie. Mm. The, the the creativity should be more diverse. And I think 10, 10 is exactly fits that. Like, there's a lot of movies. I mean, I, I was sort of looking back on Knives Out and thinking, like, I love Knives Out. This is a really enjoyable movie. I love the mystery. But there's a lot of stuff in that movie that I think you take for granted as yeah. far as direction. Um, mm-hmm. For example, the, the first time you see a flashback, you need to convince the audience that this flashback is something that happened as opposed to mm. someone's vision of something that happens without explicitly saying that. And the movie accomplishes that. Yeah. And it's one of those little things that, you know, you don't, you look at 1917 and be like, oh, well, obviously this is, this is tremendous directing because look at everything that had to go to make this work. Yeah. But th- there's all kinds of stuff that goes into directing that's like little things beyond that. Yeah, um, it's very true. I mean, whenever I look at a category like that and, you know, even when I pick my own choices for the Critics' Choice Awards, I always like to think first and foremost, like, could anybody else have directed this movie this way? And when I think about that, There are a couple of names on this list that I would probably give the boot. I wasn't the biggest fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood overall. I just didn't love it as much as I've loved a lot of his other work. So maybe Tarantino would be off the list. But the fact that the Safdie brothers are not on this, I mean... Uncut Gems is the definition of what I just expressed. A movie mm-hmm. that could not have been made the same way by anybody else. But I also believe um, Adam Sandler isn't on this list either. No, he isn't. Yeah, he's not on it. So maybe it's just like a, a thing where um, Uncut Gems was not as well received as it is amongst us in the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I, I think it's a shame that Uncut Gems uh, didn't come out a little earlier. Because uh, I I just saw it this weekend, uh, yeah. and I had been told over and over, like, this is a great movie, this is a great movie. And every time I looked at it, I kind of like, ah, I see where this is going. And then you watch it, and you're like, oh, no, you don't. no I didn't at <laughs> all. Yeah. And I think the movie needed 
need it needs to have that with with uh, audiences uh, because you can say, oh, you're you're not going to see where this is going. There's only so much you can actually convince someone that's the well, case. Well, you could say the same thing also maybe about the release date of something like a Richard Jewell or um, or a Little Women for that matter. Yeah. Maybe maybe release date is a factor here. Yeah. You look uh, like you had more to add. But Taika Waititi, right? <laughs> is yeah. he, do they separate the directors between comedy and uh, drama? No. It's one even like, more so. Well, that's, even that's more another so. thing here that um, when it comes to screenplay, you yeah. know how we have adapted an original in yep. the Oscars. They have one screenplay category, so that's why again, this isn't a good way to necessarily predict what's going to get an Oscar nomination. But Green Book did win last year, Gold Globes, and then won the Oscar, so it's shocking. Well, I mean, really, when you're talking, like especially when you're talking about Best Picture, when here you yeah. have the field so spread out, like yeah. I mean, you know, it's you're bound to have some crossovers. It's like if. Yeah, yeah. If, like, the pool is this big and you have that many films to work with and they select that many, yeah. I mean, you're, you're bound to have crossover not only here but in all the Guild nominations, too. Sure. I, sure. I really I don't look at this list and I don't then look at the wins. The reason why the wins matter for me, actually, is I do think that Golden Globe night winds up being part of the marketing campaign, someone's Oscar campaign. When they get up there and they deliver a powerful, meaningful speech, yeah. I don't necessarily think somebody out there is thinking, well, now I'm going to vote for you because you had a good speech. But it's more a matter of that person making sure that they're on voters' minds. It, right. it doesn't necessarily affect how the voter feels about the quality of their work in their film, but it's all about keeping like your name and the movie's name in everybody's conscience. Mm -hmm. So when they're sitting there filling out their ballots, you're the first one they think of. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the uh, best musical or comedy category where we have Dolomite Is My Name, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rocket Man. I will say the one that excited me most on this list because it is fresh on my mind is Rocket Man. We did mm. that Collider uh, FYC screening at Arclight Hollywood the other night, and I hadn't revisited it since May when it first came oh, out. Wow. Okay. But I watched it. Um, I watched it once to prep for the Q and A after, and then I watched it again. I sat through mm. the movie, and I don't know if I fully appreciated that the first time around. Maybe I just needed to find my footing as far as the fantasy elements go. But the second mm. time around, I'm looking at that, and you know, that's another one that the directing in it is kind of next level when you think about them pulling the reality elements and the fantasy elements together so well and yeah. the scene transitions in that movie are so so well crafted so I was happy to see this get a little love I, I find this to be ironic because Dexter Fletcher stepped in and took over for singer for Bohemian Rhapsody and now he gets to fully do stuff with Rocket Man. I loved it the first time I saw it loved it the next two times I saw it it is an incredible film that is getting absolutely no buzz overall for best picture or for best director or even Tara Negerton for best actor and I think it's miles better than Bohemian Rhapsody in my opinion because and I think what makes Bohemian Rhapsody good is Dexter Fletcher's contributions to the film which is what he did fully with Rocket Man so I think people are Queen fans are getting a little muddled in their heads about what's good and what is and I think for me personally Rocket Man is a much more honest exploration and uh, that takes advantage of the medium so well better than Bohemian Rhapsody did which I think copped out on a number of occasions with Freddie Mercury's story even though that last scene is incredible when they redo Live Aid I think there's more in Rocket Man for you to hold on to and discover and explore and use the film medium so well how are you feeling about this category, Silas? I'm not the, the biggest Rocket Man fan. I, Get out. I, <laughs> I, I do think of, of any of the awards that I would give it, uh, I, Taron Edgerton is, is just like, he's very, very good. And the fact that he is actually 
performing and convincingly performing. Uh, yeah. Like, it is fantastic. I definitely like it more than Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I also, I love uh, Eddie the Eagle, which was Taron yeah. Egerton and, Eddie and Dexter Eagle Fletcher. Eddie the Eagle was one of my favorite movies such of 2015. It was such a, like, under the radar, like, why is this I as still, good as it is? I still rewatch Eddie the Eagle a lot. <laughs> I, I'm kind of excited now that Dexter Fletcher has, like, had some projects where people are like, oh, wow, this is a, this is a name to watch. Yeah. I really am excited about what he does now. Yeah, and I want to give credit back because uh, I was giving them crap uh, uh, earlier. I like to give a little credit to the Golden Globes for nominating Dolomite is my name. Yes. That is a fantastically fun film. Eddie won't smell her nomination. Wesley won't either, and that's unfortunate. But the film overall, at least getting recognized this way, is a positive. I think uh, the the main things missing from this category at a glance to me is is definitely, um, uh, well, we were talking about Little Women in the other category. Um, mm. I wonder where, where Bombshell would have fallen. Yeah. Bombshell, Bombshell would have been in the drama category, yeah, yeah, yeah. actually. And I'm, I'm a little surprised to have that knocked out. But Are you surprised by cats not even being... <laughs> So I think does this bode well or so bode badly? I think that this this is the sign that even though there was some like little bit of hope left that Cats could have been a real Oscar contender, I'm pretty sure the fact that they didn't go for it is a sign that it's not going to be the case. There is one predictor that I would I would buy into right yeah, now. Yeah. Cats is out, except for a uh, song, which I think it is on the mm. uh, the Golden Globe list for. All right, let's keep going down these categories here so we can hit most of them. Uh, best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. So we've got Renee Zellweger for Judy, of course, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, and Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. What say you about this category? Uh, this is Zellweger's to lose, in my opinion. Even though there's, there hasn't been a lot of buzz recently for her, I think it's just like this quiet acceptance is going to happen. Like with Frances McDormand, like we knew... Three billboards, no problem. I feel this way about Zellweger with Judy. I don't know if anybody can come in there, but I'm happy that Cynthia Rebo got nominated for Harriet. That's fuck. That's, I mean, that's fantastic. Wow, sorry. you were really excited about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Apologies. Go ahead, man. I, I, I mean, one of the other ones that, that jumps out that I keep thinking of is Lupita Nyongo in, in Us. Is mm. just such a creepy, like a, a, a performance that has I have come back to throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think all around the, the people in that category are great. You're probably right about Judy. The only thing I'm worried about is I feel like Judy is this year's uh, Stan and Ollie. Oh and no! I really loved Stan and Ollie. I thought their performances <laughs> were so good, and that just kind of got ignored. Well, Stan and Ollie didn't have the same fanfare during its release, and I think they they positioned the release of Judy and the debut of Judy on the festival circuit very, very well. I think they basically kicked off their run with all the noise in the world, and mm. you know it might feel like it's just coasting on that right now, but. But wait for it. I mean, come the yeah. beginning of January, they're going to be making all that noise all over again. And I think she's in good shape to win. But it does feel like it's that perfect, like, this is a very, very good dramatic performance. But the character is also performing, which is also really cool. And there's a transformative element, which is always, mm. like, something for awards. Um, so, yeah, I, I, can see, I can see it playing. It's, but, like, it's like Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis is great. Lincoln, the film itself, maybe not as good, but he's good. I feel Judy. I've really come around way. on Lincoln. I, I, I thought it was kind of boring the first time, and now I like, am totally... Do I need to rewatch Lincoln? Because I, I was originally <laughs> with you on that. It wasn't my favorite. All right, let's add in some of the uh, best performances by an actress in a musical or comedy, just to see the whole group together right now. The list includes... Aquafina in The Farewell, Beanie Feldstein from Booksmart, Ana de Armas from Knives Out, 
Emma Thompson in Late Night and Kate Blanchett in uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? There's always that random one, isn't yeah, that? Yeah. Like, what, what was it? What was it like the the tourist and and like some some right. weird stuff With like Jolie, that? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And like, didn't the what's the Robert Downey Jr. one that one year the that got all the love? Like the judge? Oh, the, the judge. judge. Yeah, the not, judge. Not to be really cynical about it, but there is sort of the reputation that the Hollywood Foreign Press invites the actors that they want to hang out yeah. with yeah. to their yeah. awards show. Yeah. So that that's probably the most random one I see on the list and I would say so Aquafina is in my prediction list for the sure. Academy Award so I'm just excluding her from this comment for that reason but I'm very 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 excited to see Anna de Armas Beanie Feldstein and Emma Thompson on this list because those are three names that I don't think are going to get nearly enough recognition other than the Golden Globes which is a shame but it's mm. also a sign that we have many many good performances this year yeah I mean th- those are all I, I, I think Movies I've seen more recently um, in in trying to catch up, but like some really strong. I mean, it's sort of like look, looking like what I was saying about Judy. Mm. The, the the physically becoming someone else is always something that like helps win in awards, and those are those are performances that like they're still playing a different person. They're still convincingly playing another character, but there's not the physical transformation side. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did not like Late Night. Uh, I thought that was. I was hoping to like it. And I didn't. I think Emma is good in the film. Certainly, I think it cops out the last forty-five minutes of the movie. But I would throw Caitlin Deaver in over Beanie Feldstein. In my personal opinion, I think she's a fantastic actress. I liked more of what she was doing in Booksmart than Beanie, but just by a hair. So I find this interesting how you choose between the two because they both have interesting stories within the narrative of the film. I just like Caitlin's a little bit more than Beanie's, that's all. Uh, so, But, you know, lo- it's good to see that film getting love because a lot of people were hurt that it didn't make a lot of I'm money. I'm not capable of picking between the two. <laughs> well, they all, were. <laughs> all, I, all I wanted was to see Booksmart get a little recognition yeah, on the award circuit. I don't care who it went to, but I would have been happy. Yeah. But really, I mean, that's another thing is Olivia Wilde for Best Director. <laughs> Absolutely. See, that I, that I, is like, an exceptional, like, it's an exceptional film period, but the fact that that's her first feature as a director, I still can't get over it. And that movie is still firmly in my top five of the year. Ten directors, people. Ten directors. Do you want to add something, Silas? No, I just was totally agreeing about Booksmart. It's like, it's really rewatchable. It has amazing performances. It's It's a really, like tight movie it's it's exceptionally well made and I that's hope, um once sag rolls around it gets an ensemble nomination mm. well it's also like i have seen so many movies from actors that decide they want to be directors and i i i, I the exception i think is the gift i love the gift uh but usually they're <laughs> not very good uh and there's there's often a reason that actors will direct a movie and then they don't become directors. They they sort of say, oh, that was fun. I'm going to do something else. Olivia Wilde is like, no, I want to see your next movie. Dexter Fletcher was an actor. True. There's there's one opposite, <laughs> but it's like, you know, this year it's making me think, you know, Richard Jewell isn't getting nominated. Motherless Brooklyn isn't getting nominated. I don't know. It can go one way or the other. <sighs> yeah, I'm upset about the Richard Jewell stuff. It's like, it's, it's I, I think... The only- I think things are happening. Well, Richard Jewell did get one, didn't he? Get it got supporting for Kathy Bates. But the only the only thing about Richard and I liked Richard Jewell. I thought it was Mm. pretty good. It's just in comparison to some of this other stuff. I understand why it's getting bumped out, except for Paul Walter Hauser. I think he is so good in that. That's the thing that I I worry about because you know I just did the junket and Paul Walter Hauser was so nice and. Getting me, Clint was great, but like the, his their perform his performance is incredible. I think this is the best thing Clint's directed. 
even past American Sniper to the letters from Iwo Jima. I think this is the most heartfelt film he's directed in quite some time. And yet people, I, and I think it's a little bit political. I think some liberals are looking at this going, oh, this seems like a right-wing movie. I don't think I want to go see it. And I think it's getting lost in the shuffle because of that. And I think that's unfair because it's a damn good movie. So. It's frustrating. Yeah. See, but this is the best, kind of, of this is the best kind of frustration, yeah. though, because this is the time of year when we get to celebrate all the things we're super, super passionate mm. about. And if there's not enough space in these award ceremonies to accommodate everything, it means we got a good chunk of films this it's year. Very I true, I will take Barry. that. All yeah. right. Let's do the two best performance by an actor in a motion picture category, starting with drama. First one on that list is Christian Bale for Ford v. Ferrari, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Then we have Jonathan Price for The Two Popes and Adam Driver in A Marriage Story. And rolling right into the uh, comedy section here, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name, Daniel Craig for Knives Out, Taron Egerton for Rocketman, and Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. I mean, you could hear in my inflection right there which one makes me the most excited. I'm just, it's one of those situations where I don't think he's going to be in the best actor category, mm. and I think he is such a strong anchor for that movie. So Roman Griffin Davis getting the uh, getting the attention he deserves is wonderful. But certain ceremonies do have awards for young up and coming actors, and I think he is going to dominate a lot of those. Yeah. What do you what do you think about this pool of ten names here? I, I think that's a pretty incredible pool. I mean that that actually of, of everything we've talked about is one of the, the most evenly matched. I am not the biggest Joker fan, but if Joaquin Phoenix won for best performance, I can't argue with that. Uh, I, I, he's very, very good. Um, I, I would agree with that. He he is very, very good. I think that award is either going to I think it's probably gonna be him. At this point, or Eddie Murphy, also like I just feel like Eddie's possible for a for a golden I don't know. globe for a golden globe. I don't know. There's a little too. I also I like I, I I guess you guys don't like it as much. But Once upon a time in Hollywood is probably my favorite movie of the year. Wow. And, uh, okay. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is is fantastic in it. I I probably would not select him from this category. I, yeah. And, and just because there is sort of an attitude sometimes in my mind of like okay. We know you're a really good actor. Like you don't need this. Like, oh, and not that we don't know somebody like Eddie Murphy is, but it, it, it would be nice to bring Eddie Murphy back into the spotlight where he hasn't been for a while. He's still pretty locked in my uh, Oscar predictions. The the one obvious omission here is uh, Robert De Niro for The Irishman. Yeah, what what happened? Because it's not like the uh, the HFPA overlooked The Irishman no. in general. They, they just didn't include Robert De Niro. Yeah, Pesci and Pacino got nominated. That's insane to me. Also, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it was. I mean, he carried the movie for the all the whole movies about him. See, if anything, I would think what would happen in a scenario like that is that Pesci and Pacino could run the risk of canceling each other out if someone decides to only vote for one or right, the right, other. Right. But like, why was Robert De Niro yeah. removed from the situation? Yeah. I'll throw two other names out there. I think uh, LaBeouf and Honey Boy should have yeah. been nominated. And also, and once again, Paul Walter Hauser. Here we go again. You kick Jonathan Price right on out of there. I, I absolutely slide Hauser well, into that Shia slot. Shia probably would have been supporting for Honey Boy. Oh, I guess. Yeah, so good that, point. That's where he would have. He would have popped up, but I still think that would have been a, a solid about, choice right there. Waves? What about Kelvin Harrison Jr.? I, mean, I don't don't get me started on Kelvin Harrison Jr. I'm just saying, shouldn't he be in this thing? Like, I, come on! I've had his name all over like every list I've had to come up with, and whether it's for Waves or for Loose, Loose it's like right. really Loose should be all over all of the awards uh, conversations right. this year. And I don't know. I feel like that's getting overlooked, maybe because it debuted at Sundance, maybe because it hit theaters in the middle of the yeah. year. But the other one that really upsets me that goes in the neon uh, earlier release category is Wild Rose. 
Where is oh. Wild Rose? How is that not all yeah. over the place? Especially for song. I think it got snubbed for song here too. No, and that is so, yeah, it's, it's not in here. Yeah. That, that I think if that winds up happening at the Oscars would be one of the most upsetting snubs to me. Yeah. And sadly, I think that song could be like, I don't know, this year's Sing Street. Where Sing Street oh, got yeah, no love yeah, in true. 2016, which would be such a bummer. I'm happy that Bale got nominated, though. I think he's incredible in Ford versus Ferrari, and that's the conversation to me. Those are the two guys for me that are the back and forth: is uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and and Christian Bale. Yeah, De Niro not getting nominated. Eh, I, I, yeah, I get it, but like the, those are the two guys that I I want to see what happens all the way to the end because I think that's that's. Those are the two guys I'm watching. I do have one question for you guys. Mm. We do have to move on because we have two really cool trailers to talk about. But the other category I wanted to bring up was the animated category. (laughs) Um, I don't think we have a graphic for this one. But there's one interesting little thing here because that list includes Frozen 2, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, Missing Link, Toy Story 4, and The Lion King. (laughs) So what, what, what... where do we land with this? What is the official definition of Lion King? Is it an animated movie or is it not? I guess it depends on the organization. Do they think it's an animated movie or not? Whether Disney thinks it's an animated movie or not. But certainly the organization has to make that decision. So clearly they think it is. I don't think it is in any way, shape, or form. Well, I think the other unusual thing in terms of like an, organi- or an organization defining a movie is mm. The Farewell is considered a foreign film right. where it's not elsewhere. Yeah, so I, I don't know. weird. Yeah, but I, I found it a little surprising when I was scrolling through that list because right now, in, in terms of like Gold Derby predictions, I'm thinking The Lion King could be up for best visual effects. Yeah. But that can't really equal animated, so what's going on here? Where do you I, stand on it, Silas? I am I'm personally of the opinion that like the end result of what you want it to be is how it should be defined. So in, in that sense, because Lion King is trying to look like a live-action movie, it's a live-action movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Great point, I, 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 I can see the argument for either side. I, I, I tend to roll my eyes sometimes when people will say, I love the live-action Lion King, and some of you are like, well, technically it's an animated film. <laughs> and th- there's also like a weird argument where like you're taking the attention away from animators who work really hard, and it's always one of those like... I- Really? Because, like, animators also worked on this other movie, and it's not like yeah. we're, we're naming them. It, it, it just feels like something people like to complain about. That being said, I, I, I don't really think it should be in the, the animated film category just because that's, that's something... Like, animation doesn't have a lot of that. Uh, th- th- there's not a ton of space for animated films to be celebrated uh, in, in the bigger awards mm-hmm. season. Uh, so if you start taking, like... Will the next Avatar be an animated film? Right, like, mm. great point. Well, the part of the reason I'm upset that it's in this category is because I was kind of rooting for Abominable. Yes, to I was just going to bring that up. To get a little love, and yeah. um, oh, the, the name is escaping me of a of a lesser known uh, a lesser known one. I believe it's on Netflix. The one with like the hand and the body. Oh my god, I can't believe oh, I it's don't not that the one. title. Oh, I have no body. Yes. I haven't seen uh, it yet. But I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet either, but someone flagged it for me for mm-hmm. like a long time ago, and I haven't gotten around to watching it. But I know that that one was considered a little bit of a snub here. Why is no one talking about Klaus? Klaus was incredible. I don't think a lot of people watch. That's what I'm saying. Like, did, did or at they, least not, not a lot of people that I've been speaking to. Yeah. Did they throw it up in there? Because the, <laughs> I watched it over the weekend. The animation is phenomenal. Something I've never seen before. And in, it's an incredible story. It's a sweet story. Great voiceover work. And no one is talking about it. And it's a Netflix film. So I'm shocked. Why was, why was every animated movie this year about ice? <laughs> like Frozen 2, <laughs> Klaus, Abominable. Uh, Abominable, Missing Link, Arctic Dogs. Arctic Dogs. 
Arctic dogs. I forgot that even existed. All right. As much as we want to get to all the categories here, we do not have time. But don't worry, Collider FYC has you covered on Wednesday. So tune in. Check that out. And also, something you could watch later today on Collider Video, it's Rule of Two. Here's a promo. Hey guys, Riley here, and let me tell you about Rule of Two. You looking for a Star Wars fix? Well, Rule of Two is that show. It drops on Collider Video's main YouTube channel, as well as on Podcast One's Jedi Council feed. So go over there, subscribe, share it with your friends. It's hosted by myself and Mark Fernandez. We talk everything in the Star Wars universe with a lot of deep dives and a lot of conversations that go all in. You know what to do. Subscribe, join us there, and rise. If you catch Rula 2 today, they're going to have a very special guest on the show. You might know him. His name is Jamie Costa, and he's there to debut, apparently, the trailer for his uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi fan film, which I am just dying to see. So uh, tune in later today and check that out. And just another reminder, if you want any of this cool heroes and villains stuff, use the promo code TALK10 for 10% off over on HeroesVillains.com. Great holiday options. I know I already have my eye on some my family does a, a Secret Santa every year, mm. and uh, I think I got someone this year who I think would really appreciate a Heroes and Villains. Uh, I don't know how big I'm going to go, if I'm going to go T-shirt or jacket for him, but I feel wow. like it could be a good fit. I hope no one in my family is watching because we're not supposed to give away who we have, and now I just cut the field in half. You've given away the gender. <laughs> it, it matters. There's only there's only like uh, seven of us. Papa Nems, I hope you enjoy your Klingon <laughs> shirts. <laughs> I was going to comment on that, but then I stopped because then it would have narrowed it down more. Now I just gave it away a bit more. All right. (laughs) We're going to get to these two trailers now. Two really big trailers dropped recently. We got a full trailer for Wonder Woman 1984 and also the new Ghostbusters movies, which is called Ghostbusters Afterlife. All right. We, we have a lot to get into on these two, but if you had to pick your favorite of the two, which one would it be? Wonder Woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to go Wonder Woman as well. But just just by a hair. I really liked both of them. Yep, me too. And I, like, I like Ghostbusters, but I'm also not someone... Like, that just wasn't my franchise right. growing up compared to other ones. There's something about just the... Uh, I don't know, like like the texture and the feel of it and how quickly I got sucked into that trailer and into that family that was really impressing me and also just how certain familiar elements from the original films just like slowly kind of added up until you get to that ending where, I don't know, I found myself kind of like freaking out by seeing certain elements come back and as I started to piece, piece everything together as far as how these new... Uh, characters could be connected to the original ones. I love the fact that one is set in the 80s and one comes from an 80s property, which I think is really funny. And um, this nostalgia stuff for the decade I grew up in is great. I I thought the Wonder Woman trailer is phenomenal, just fantastic. Patty Jenkins really just understanding what to bring to a sequel and how different and new to be. The writing lightning sequence alone was incredible, but I love the Maxwell Lord playing like the 80s infomercial guy that you grew up watching late at night if you stayed up that late, watching those crazy things things but the vibe of it pulling up the, the all of that the fashion that they nail but i agree with you perry the ghostbusters thing was a complete shock to me that i enjoyed that trailer because i was worried it was going to be a debacle i was worried it was going to feel like no offense to the paul feig one i didn't like it i thought it was going to feel like that but i liked that it's set in someplace else and this is how you recharge the franchise you bring in some good young good young actors put it in a place that's not familiar and then connect it only in certain spots to the overall story and you cast someone like paul rudd that fits the vibe of the original mm-hmm. to carry these kids into 
uh, what it's going to be. I thought it was brilliant. I don't think there's a better uh, lead foursome there, though, than mm. Carrie Coom, Paul Rudd, Finn Wolfhard, and McKenna Grace. Yeah. It's like that list right then and there has me sold. But the fact that it's like it taps into that childlike wonder of discovery and you're rediscovering elements from the original films, it's like that that kind of thing is infectious. And it works really well for me in the trailer. Yeah. I don't know if it did work for me. Uh, and I, no. I, I think the reason is because it's coming so soon after that E.T. commercial. Huh? That E.T. And, commercial uh, is great. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, he went off on it. Oh, did talk. you really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, like, I don't so know. Commercial. I, I, I think that this Ghostbusters movie huh. is doing so many things right, and mm. it's probably going to be really, really good. But there is a point where, like, it's weird to just, like, be sold your nostalgia back to you. And there's something particularly weird in Ghostbusters where, like, oh, well, the kids in the movie, like, don't even have this nostalgia. So, like, as an audience, we have to have, like, kids who are learning how important our nostalgia is. Mm. I don't love that. There's room for both, though. There's room for kids to discover their own things that are going to become their nostalgia, but also to be able to appreciate our... Like, you could look at it one way or the other. There is something, you know, frustratingly commercial about it where you're being, like... It, it's almost like you're being refed, like regurgitated stuff. I just have cat vomit on my mind yeah, right now. Go. My cat threw up in my router today, and it was very upsetting. Um, but <laughs> you could either look at it that way, like you're being given back, like rinse, washed, repeated stuff, or it's this idea. And this is part of the reason why I do really hold tight to things like adaptations and the continu- continuations of franchises is – some young moviegoer out there who might not have had any reason to go back and check out the original Ghostbusters movie could see uh, a film with people they admire like Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace, see this movie and be like, where did all this come from? And then go back and check out something that they might not have seen before. Or let's say Little Women, for example. I have actively avoided all forms of that story my entire life because I thought that story was not for me. Saw Greta Gerwig's movie and now I have downloaded the Little Women audiobook Mm. and Years later, when I had no reason otherwise to, I'm finally going to read it. And I think that's the good that comes out of it. <laughs> no, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I take your point. But it's not like this film was, is, a, you know, like a best picture, emotional. It's Ghostbusters, and, and they made a sequel because they wanted to keep a franchise going. So it's in its bones to want to get to as many people as possible. So for it to go this route, uh, I like it. I think it's the way to do it. Also, I, I saw some people pushing back going, there's no New York City. It's not New York City. Why would you want to set it in New York City again? We've done that three times already. There's no need. Set it out here in the wilderness because that's what you're trying to do is to bring people out from this area back into this main uh, love of the franchise. So it makes all the sense in the world to me personally that they're doing it this way because they don't have to be tied to all that stuff with New York City and can create their own narrative here. All right, let's go more on Ghostbusters. One of of the weird things with Ghostbusters, I think, is... uh, so like. There's something sad about seeing like, oh, well, Harold Ramis died. Oh, yeah, Dan Aykroyd yeah, is, is, is very old. And, you know, unlike something like, say, say if this was Star Trek uh, and it's, it's about the Federation and the Federation is about exploring and it's about pursuing knowledge, the legacy of the Ghostbusters is stopping cartoon ghosts. Mm. And I love that in Ghostbusters. But there's something hard to be like, after 30 years, that legacy is going to have new people... If there's not a ghost problem, it just seems like a fake thing to be sad about in mm. some ways. 
Interesting. No, it's a, it's a different take on it. I'm curious to see where they go on a second trailer and how much more they show, because I do appreciate the mystery and wanting to know more. And it's this is a trailer that almost makes me wish they will stop here. But I know that's not going to be mm. the case. So I just hope they're crafty in terms of what they reveal in the next one. But with Wonder Woman, I, yeah. I feel like what was exciting me the most about that, this was the trailer that uh, debuted at a CC. CCXP? Yes. Those are the right, that's the right order of so. letters. Um, but uh, the, the Brazil Comic-Con where Steve and Haley are right now, and all I could picture was that trailer debuting in front of like a booming crowd like that. This is the kind of trailer that I think you're going to see before the big December releases, and it's just going to blow the theater away. There's something about the way it's cut, the music, the dialogue, the action, everything that says to me, this is perfect for big screen trailer viewing that's going to get you even more people to buy tickets to the movie. I I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought just like the look of it was amazing. Uh, The time, it's been some time since Wonder Woman came out and it it feels like, oh, we've been waiting for this. Um, I have a big question for you, Silas, because I feel like you're the best person to go to for something like this. How do you think Chris Pine's character comes (laughs) back? Because there's some potential like, I don't know, like sciencey things that well, could make I, it happen. I think it's the mystery of the movie, but it sounds like what Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord is doing is giving people the thing they want the most yeah. with some terrible price. So for Wonder Woman, that's getting him back. So you think it's going to be a fish out of water scenario where, like, decades later, he's kind of feeling out a new world, and that's why the why the art scene happens. I suspect we're not. Yeah, I, I suspect we're not going to even know until some point much later in the movie why he's back. That I, part of the mystery is. Wonder Woman also got what she really wanted, but what's the price of that? Well, the okay. reverse of it, right? I, I, the fact that he's out of water when she was out of water in the first film is a nice change. Uh, but I think it has to do with Cheetah. I think she knows, she finds out about him, uses whatever that thing Maxwell Lord is holding to bring Steve back to mess with Wonder Woman. And then someone put, I, I forget who tweeted it, but they said, um, I think they're going to kill Steve Trevor off after every movie like Kenny in South Park oh, for yeah, Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. And I was, it's like, definitely laughing. someone we both thought. Was yeah, it? maybe it was on the general slack of our slack. Know. And I thought it was genius, whoever put it up there, because it was hilarious. The order of events you just said, though, seems very... Uh, it seems like it's possible to me, but usually yeah. when something seems so obvious like that, it's wrong, so maybe it's not going to go that way. You, were you upset that you didn't see Cheetah? Yeah. No, I liked okay. what I what I saw of okay. Kristen Wiig. I thought, I mean, Still even though convinced. it's like, even though it's like an itty bitty moment, mm. that one conversation that the two of them were having together, yeah. I thought even just a few lines was very powerful. And I don't know, I'm like into the character poster of her. I think that they are going to slowly reveal that character, yeah. and and she might be good, a good fit for the role. Okay. I, I can also see them wanting to see what the reaction of cats is. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Silas. And why does it all, it always comes back to cats? That would be brilliant. I, I did love, so like at the very end of the trailer, there's the gag at the art museum of like, like well, art is different for different people. And that's yeah. like a beautiful sentiment for a comic book movie, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, it's pop art, but that doesn't mean it's not art. Uh, I kind of wondered if the like, no, that's the trash can was a, a Justice League joke. This is something people have been saying on Twitter and I didn't even can think about it and I was like oh that would be terrible wait what why step on Snyder even more why yeah well I mean that's not even his his cut well so still I think as, as soon as oh, as soon no. as the Snyder cut of some form gets released I think it'll be okay even among hardcore DC mm-hmm. fans to oh I don't like that. that I don't like that take at all yeah. it's like I don't, I ca- I don't care do how that. anybody feels about 
Justice League. It's because like we, there, there's someone out there that love. There's many people out there who do love it. I don't yeah. know. I just feel like any joke at the expense of another movie in that kind of sense is just <laughs> not cool. Especially when Snyder cast her in the damn role in BVS. So if, if she agreed to like some crack like that, though. yeah, I think it's a bit like, of a stretch. I feel like that's just I don't think they would do putting that. an extra line to, to reading into that. That's not happening. I, I do have like, like so I have two wild theories right now. Yes. And one is either that Maxwell Lord is really Cersei. Because oh, Cersei's nice. the person that transforms people into animals, and at some point, Cheetah becomes uh, an animal person. Okay. Good call. Uh, the other that I kind of like is, like, I feel like in Justice League, we have uh, time travel that probably is never going to be continued. Bring that back to Wonder Woman. Like, make the 80s our jumping-off point for, like, have the Justice Society be founded. Uh, but the thing I realized is, like, if Maxwell Lord is actually involved in, like, global surveillance, uh, what if he's trying to find Superman? Mm. who has recently, in 1984, landed and is somewhere on Earth. That could I'll, work. I'll take anything that paves the way to more Superman in the, the DC film franchise yeah. right now, because I still want Man of Steel, too. Yeah. Like, Ry- Ry- Riley has firmly gotten me on that boat, and I want it to happen. And sadly, I want it to happen with uh, Henry Cavill, which, I don't know, feels like every passing day... The chances are diminishing. That's a, I think that's an official collider position. Isn't yeah. it? We all want Man of Steel, too. I didn't, I didn't realize how passionate I was about it until mm. I heard it around me so much. And I'm like, no, I really do care. I want more. And the way he's handled himself through this yeah. whole thing. Cavill has been nothing but class the whole time. Didn't get involved in that Snyder Cut hashtag. Did his own thing. Also, one last thing. I wonder if Thomas Wayne shows up in some form or Martha Wayne shows up in some form in this to kind of allude to a Batman. Remember that Batman's going to be set in the 90s, possibly. That could be something that could be playing around in the 80s as well, especially Max Ward being a businessman. Why wouldn't he know about Wayne? So, All right, guys. We, we have to say goodbye, but we just left you with a whole bunch of theories to think <laughs> about. If you agree with them or disagree with them, hit the comment section below. Share your thoughts and your theories there. We love hearing what you think as well. Silas, Roca, thank you so much for being here for this Heroes and Villains sponsored episode of Movie Talk. Again, that promo code for 10% off is TALK10. You use that at checkout on heroesvillains.com. They've got a whole bunch of new lines out. Star Trek, Batman, Joker, and also Warriors of Mandalore. And we're going to show some of it off on the show all week. And I can't wait to see what else (laughs) I can get my hands on. All right, guys, a big thanks to Adam in the booth and to all of you out there for watching today's show. Do not leave it without liking and sharing it. And don't go any Anywhere after you leave Movie Talk, but Collider Live, I believe they have Justin Long on the show today, so you're not going to want to miss that. Check it out, and we will see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, for a brand new Movie Talk. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa Online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. 
All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 